Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Whiskey and Whitetails, the show for those that hunt with a passion and drink with a person, with a person or and, and with a purpose. And with a person. A person and a purpose. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, Gus. I'm Matt. And uh, thank you to our Waypoint Network, to the Waypoint Network for having us. Thank you to our Patreon for their support, our executive producers in that group. Thank you for all of you that support us, follow us, like our stuff, comment, share things with us. We always appreciate you. And uh, thank you to our sponsors, Matt. Who are they? Uh, this week we got Vantage Point Archery, which we've talked about multiple times um i lost two in the woods the other day so i've got more on the way nice. but their omega broadheads is that was what i wanted but they only have them in 200 grains right now so if you shoot 200 grains you should go there and get the omega broadhead uh, pretty sick but if you don't the rest of their stuff is still good too we uh i'm a fan of the single bevel right for sure uh 125 grains what i've been shooting so Definitely go check them out. It's made in America. It's a product we can stand behind. You know what I mean? And we Absolutely. actually do use them. It's not like uh, we were using them before they were a podcast sponsor. So Yeah. It just so happened we we, we, we linked up with them, got a lot in common. We, we enjoy them as people, not just their company and not, not just their product. And it just, it was a good fit. So, yep. 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 So check them out. You go to vparchery.com and there's no promo codes because, uh, they're great prices already. They're coming three packs. So all the prices you see there for three. Yep. Get them. Check them out. If you haven't already, it's great stuff. Also, this episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile, which you can go to mintmobile.com slash whiskey. And uh, you can get started for as low as $15 a month. Right now, they're doing a special for three months, $15 a month. So that would be $45 up front for three months of cell phone service, which is bananas. I made the switch probably a month and a half ago. Great stuff. Gus is thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I will tell you this. Make sure your phone is clean and clear because if you make a switch and AT&T or whoever still owns your phone, your IMEI, it'll be a couple of days of no cell phone service. I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> Which after calling their support, they said, hey, uh, we have all that information in the welcome startup guide. So I would recommend reading that. it. Yeah. <laughs> But yep, this is a good episode. We're, we're going elk heavy. We're drinking, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pour some old elk bourbon. We're going to talk about elk hunting because uh, we both were curious about it. And um, we specifically went down some East, rabbit holes. Yeah, specifically eastern elk, uh, the, the extinction of them and the restoration. So, yep. So that'd be a good episode. That's all I got. Stay tuned. I want to get into this bottle because I've been holding on to it for, I bought it in 2021. 
All right. So I've been waiting for the reason to open it, and I just got one. And uh, I'm going to... I might do a partial review. But it's the Old Elk Infinity Blend. This is the 2021 version. So it says 60% Old Elk Straight Bourbon, but if you go and look it up, it's MGP. Okay. Which led me down a rabbit hole of the reason I'll probably never buy Old Elk again. And it's also blended with two different Kentucky Straight Bourbons. One is aged 11 years, one is aged 12 years, and this MGP product is a six-year. So I was going to give it Making all the noise. Nice. Fresh bottle pop. Oof. Yeah. And also, there was a time when we talked to them and they sent us this. That's right. Remember that. Spout. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Old Dog. It reminds me of that. It reminds me of that. There's uh, that guy. You sent me, you sent uh, an Instagram video of that guy one time. I think he's in the Philippines or somewhere and he's always drinking some kind of different liquor from over and he pours a, a drink and then he always has like a jar of pickles and some sort of cured meat. And yeah. he like slaps and slaps himself in the face and makes all these noises <laughs> and then like like does these elbow things to the the jar and like the one video you sent me I think he busted the jar with his elbow and the yeah. pickles went everywhere yeah and uh, I watch that guy all the time and he he's always pouring from some spout like that with like an elk or some red yeah. stag thing on it it's funny as hell they're pretty cool it's probably the same one it's a pretty nifty looking uh, spout it has yeah. no practical use on my bar but <laughs> it's been sitting there literally since, when did they give us that three years ago. Yeah, it was at least three years ago. Mm. Well, you you got a bottle pop. I'm going to kill a bottle. So I don't know if we ever had an episode where we've popped a bottle and killed a bottle in the same episode. Oh, first time well, for everything. With the exception yeah. of a George T. Stagg episode that didn't <laughs> get anywhere. Sure. We did pop and kill that bottle in one episode with Rocco. That was a great episode. That uh, I don't know that we put that out because it was... No, that was a Patreon-only uh, yeah. release. <laughs> that was a rough one. For many reasons. Yeah. That was cool though. We made him a nice little box and we signed the bottle for him. And uh, yeah, yeah, that he enjoyed fun. that. Yeah. So I get like uh, a good amount of oak and some uh, bananas. Mm. There's um, almost like a, I hate using that word, but coriander mixed it makes it with like a like a a very bland flour. But I think this is supposed to be like a malted throwback or something when I was ah, reading okay. about it. So that kind of makes sense. Well, I didn't even show the bottle. This is, since we're going to be talking about Elk in Kentucky, I grabbed Cream of Kentucky. Nice. And this is their, uh, their straight rye whiskey, Bottle and Bond. It's It's been one of the, my favorite bottles that I've I've ever bought. And uh, I've had it for a year and a half almost now, and I've milked it for every little bit that it's worth. But good stuff. Yeah, great bottle. That's the bottle I told you to buy because he said it if is. you don't buy it, I will. <laughs> Not bad. Um, I will say on my researching of this, because I wanted to find this exact blurb. Uh, Plenty Ben is the first limited edition release from Old Elk with annual releases planned for the future, crafted by Greg Metz, which if you don't know, was the master of Stillard MGP Seagram's for a long time. Um, blah, blah, blah. So it's talking about like it was his master, whatever. So I was looking it up and I saw a, because you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not like a Reddit guy. But usually, if I'm looking to buy something, I'll look at Reddit. Yeah, not necessarily whiskey, just like washer and dryer, whatever. Because you'll you'll the highest voted comment goes, you know, ranks higher. 
Sure. And so you can get a lot of good information on Reddit, believe it or not, if you stay out of like the community pages. Yeah, you just got to know, you gotta know what, yeah, you got to know what to look for and you got to stay out of, you got to <laughs> be able political. to identify some of those toxic right. pages. Some yeah. of them are just, yeah. So I wanted to read this because I found it interesting. And this is, uh, right. I'm going to go ahead and, as our lawyer advised us, allegedly. <laughs> okay. One of my best friends worked for Old Elk for five years. He was there for the first bottling of the Dry Town Agenda and Vodka, the origination of slow-cut proofing, and all of the milestones that led to Old Elk's rise to prominence in the craft world. He told me himself that these blends are literally leftovers from various bottling runs, and the fact that they don't know what technically is in there spun as a savvy marketing rather than just pure laziness from a production standpoint, squeezing out profit. My buddy asked for a raise during the pandemic, and they sacked him with a pregnant wife at home along with the rest of the distillery crap staff good booze but a shitty company that would stab their workers in the back and call them leaving on a mutual decision chose me not to or choose to believe me or don't i don't really care but fuck this brand and then the very next comment says i believe you because they did the same thing to me and i met your friend spent the day drinking with him his co-worker and their head distiller in 2021 but he goes on to discuss that greg metz is in there for name alone mm -hmm. and uh Said he worked there for six months and he saw him for six total minutes. Wow! They never distill because they fired all the distilling, all the distillery staff. So it's just uh, just generic MGP barrels that they're pumping out. And uh, wow, Greg's name. That's and wild. Well, if that's true, I wish I could say I'm surprised. I mean, as with any industry, Osium uh, back in the day. Yeah, I mean, but as with any industry, you know, you have companies that are going to look look out for their bottom line first. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And if that means getting rid of staff and finding a shorter way, quicker way to get a product out, um, you know, it's, man, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I don't know if it's true. I'm not saying that it is, but um, there's, there's multiple comments under that. If people corroborating a story, so I don't know, but for me, I know there's plenty of bourbon out there, so I haven't bought old oak in a long time. So I'm just going to continue to not buy it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> Too much stuff out there. I don't need to be involved in controversy. 100%. Yeah. So the elk thing. So you and I were, we went on an elk hunting trip, um, which we've talked about before. And I think it left something in us where we're like, it's I actually, unfinished. I actually posted a picture on uh, Twitter today of uh, the the pack-in, just the picture of the all the horses, you know, from, from where I was sitting. I think mm -hmm. you were behind me. And I was like, take me back. There's just something about it. And I, you know, it's funny the last couple of years um, I've hunted, I've hunted whitetail. I still love hunting whitetail. Um, and I went last night, but ever since that trip, I, there's been a little part of me that is just a little less excited when I go out in the woods. Um, it's hard to explain. It's like, I still really love going out and hunting whitetail, love being in the woods. I love everything about it. The prep, you know, all the way through cleaning and cooking, everything in between. Um, but having experience what it's like to chase elk in the, in the mountains, um, it just sometimes it just makes it. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, just a little bit boring. <laughs> it's, it's. Uh, I so I, I love uh, whitetail hunting, um, and I would pick it over elk hunting just because I like I like watching whitetail. I like the way they operate, and yeah. I, I think that the it requires a little more skill than average. And I'm saying that as a guy that's never killed an elk, but. You're right. There's a, there's some times where I'm like, this would be a lot cooler if I knew that I had to hike, you know, up the face of this mountain for 
what, you know, two miles or whatever we were doing. Right. Yeah. And then run through the woods and bugle and look for elk and, and watch out for bears. And then, and then sure. we got to hike all the way back down and we slept and after a sulfur spring. So I just stunk like rotten eggs. <laughs> yeah, it did. Mice got into our coffee. Like, you know, that stuff was fun. We were, I froze to death every night cause I, I brought a mummy bag like an idiot. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I guess it's unfair really to compare the two because they're, they're different, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's just after you, ex, you experience the excitement and the, um, the grind of being in the mountains and, and chasing after elk, um, especially coming, coming back, you know, admittedly unsuccessful, it just leaves kind of a, it just leaves a taste in your mouth. And as this, this desire to get out there and, and do it again. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, I, I enjoy why I, I, I think if I had to choose one or the other to do forever for the rest of my life, I would, I would choose whitetail hunting. Um, yeah. but uh, there's still something about chasing elk in the mountains and in the hills and finding out through this research that we did, um, that it is way closer and more accessible than I thought it was. It's very <laughs> exciting. hundred <laughs> percent, dude. I, I told, I texted you. So we, we had discussed that we wanted to do a topic this episode. And I was like, well, I'm, let's talk about elk. Cause I, I we're both, passionate about um hunting and um and again that i just feel like we we left the elk woods on unfinished business yeah we still got stuff we need to do so the the research was interesting i don't know how much i have a little bit of background on eastern elk i don't know if you have that um we did did a little bit as well yeah just just the the eastern elk in, in sense of not not elk that's located in the eastern part of the united states but the subspecies that no longer exists right so they lived in the northern and eastern U.S. and southern Canada, and uh, there's actually prehistoric evidence showing that these eastern elk uh, were around 2,500 years ago, and it shows them pretty much everywhere, including Alabama and Delaware, which was two of the states that it, it like was like this is odd that there were elk in Alabama, um, but they were extirpated, which which to distinguish that between extinct, extinct means they're gone, extirpated means they're no longer in that area. So in 1737. They were extirpated from South Carolina um, until 2016. So there was a North Carolina elk spotted in South Carolina in 2016. And these eastern elk could grow to be up to 1,000 pounds and stand 50 to 60 inches tall. But what I found most fascinating is they had six-foot antler racks. Damn. So while they're 60 inches tall, which is five feet, they got six feet of rack on top of that. That's wild, man. That is a big animal blows my mind because <laughs> you know regular elk aren't 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 like that but the yeah, um, wild. <clears throat> nothing i wrote about that was the european settlers arrived here in the united world well north america and by the mid 1800s elk were pretty much gone so naturalist james audubon reported in 1851 a few elk could be found in the allegheny mountains in west virginia but they were virtually gone from the rest of the range the last wild eastern elk was killed in pennsylvania in 1877 and de- declared officially extinct in 1880 i don't know yeah. if you had anything else for the background on no just that or. um yeah no i think uh i think the lot like you said the last one was killed uh, like right before um the civil war so for those that are better with i my brain i i tie uh events and history to time frames better than i do just picking a date or telling me a date. So as right before the civil war. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, they, they covered, like you said, uh, like in the United States, you would have found them in the the States that we consider the Midwest, like the Dakotas and Minnesota up in Michigan. 
um, all the way to the northern states and then down into the Carolinas, Tennessee, Georgia, um, and areas right now that you would not even consider or believe that yeah. elk would would reside. But they were they were there. And then as eastern um, or as as settlers came from overseas and and settled the United States, they just they just basically hunted them to extinction. Um, they ate them all. They ate them all. They were those people that were living and, and, and coming and settling here were in survival mode and elk did not run from huge, similar to the way they do now. If you stand still enough an elk will walk right up to you. Mm-hmm. So they were easy to kill. Um, it yields a lot of meat. Um, and in, in many cases they were destroying crops. So it was a double-edged sword from the elk's perspective. They couldn't really win for losing if they were staying away for humans and sneaking in to try and get, uh, you know, some food from a crop, they were pissing everybody off. And if they were, standing around and, and 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 not running from humans they were too easy of a target so um it just kind of presented a, a, a perfect i guess a, you know, a perfect scenario for them to unfortunately be hunted to extinction which is nothing um new that to, yeah. to to the north america and and what settlers did you know as western if you if you do some research and there's some books um i can't i, I was listening to someone talk about one the other day and i cannot remember the name of it uh i think it's called the the journal of a the journal of a trapper or journal of a trapper. Oh I forget, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I have that book wrote, somewhere. I forget who wrote it, but he details basically what it was like to be a trapper and expansion, like in, in, in the West. And um, like we hunted the Buffalo almost to extinction. You know, we, we, we decimated um, populations of, of elk out there, beaver, anything that could yield a pelt or something valuable. We just yeah. hunted it to death. And uh, it's, um, some researchers have have said that they have they have looked everywhere else in the world to try to identify points in history in which another civilization or another group of individuals or peoples have settled an area over a course of time and had such a negative impact on wildlife and they cannot find any evidence of anything as detrimental to wildlife as that period of time in the United States and it's really sad. When you think yeah, I know that there was um, some of the, to put that in perspective, some of the early movements into Australia, because the, there was a lot of different animals that lived there that went extinct, and they they linked it right to the time that the humans showed up, because basically for hunting, they would just burn the forest down, Jeez. and that's why a lot of that stuff is, is barren wasteland, because it used to be a thriving, you know, I don't know, tropical area, Yeah, but they would just burn the woods down and kill all the animals on the other side of it, and, and it cause a huge distinction but for anyone that wanted to know it's called journal of a trapper nine years in the rocky mountains yeah by osborne russell i have the book somewhere osborne that's it yep they kept referring to osborne and i thought it was the guy's last name and it took yeah. me forever to realize that that was actually his first name it's uh, but to give book. you but to give you a like a number perspective of how many elk of this eastern elk we, we we drove to extinction um at the time of of settlement in in the united states uh, eastern elk were uh, one of six subspecies that like we mentioned earlier and uh, Ernest Thompson Seton estimated that uh, a third of the 10 million elk found in pre-settlement America were Eastern elk, a third wow. of 10 million. And we hunted them to extinction. That's a lot of, that's a lot of fucking elk, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Yeah. But they were probably also eating it for every meal every day. And, right. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. there was, there weren't cattle farms yet. There, right. You know, there weren't, you know you couldn't go to the grocery store and grab stuff so yeah it's fair to say we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the elk population very true yeah very true yeah so we 
there's the, kind of some background on it, but the whole point of this episode is we wanted to tell you where you can elk hunt in the eastern United States. And so that's the rest of this podcast will be kind of geared towards that. Um, and I think there's four main states, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and then there's states where there's overflow. Right. But I believe those are the four main places that they're beginning to bring the elk population. And I don't mean beginning. They're, they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Um, this elk species, the Manitoban species of elk subspecies, um, this is a Midwest, specifically like North Dakota area, obviously Manitoba, Canada, but they're a larger body size than what we had here at the Eastern elk, but it was significantly smaller antlers. They don't have six foot racks on top of them, but I, we're going to start with North Carolina because that kind of leads around and then we'll go up to Pennsylvania, which is, I don't know much about Kentucky because you did the Kentucky side, but yeah, yep. uh, Pennsylvania is fascinating. Cool. So in North Carolina, 2001, 2002, the National Park Service reintroduced 52 elk into the Cataloochee area of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, that's one hour west of Asheville. If you look on a map, it's kind of midway between Knoxville and Asheville uh, near the Cherokee National Forest, which anyone that's grew up in that area knows where that is. Um, some have wandered outside of those parks and boundaries established ranges, but the majority of them are pretty much still there and the national park service was responsible for managing the elk on that property beginning in 2008 and once the reintroduction was deemed a success the responsibility for elk management outside of park boundaries was transferred to the north carolina wildlife resources commission and currently that wildlife commission estimates there's 150 to 200 elk residing in north carolina on both public private and great smoky national park land um, the population is not a level that's hunting would be allowed due to right. the management objectives that they have. So you cannot hunt elk in North Carolina, mm -hmm. but if you want to see them, you can go to the Akanalufti, Akanalufti. I don't know. It's in the Cataloochee Valley. <laughs> it's a visitor center and there's yeah. fields out front and there's actually live cameras online that you can look it up and look at these fields and see the elk out there. But lots of people go and hang out and watch these elk walk around, which I, I would love to do next time I go through Asheville. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, but I didn't um, either. It's one of the things that, that my research on Tennessee, because I touched on Tennessee as well, um, the the elk being there are a huge, have a huge economic impact by drawing visitors to come look and see. Um, mm -hmm. I'll jump ahead a little bit, but in 2017, Tennessee estimated the total economic value of the elk was $10.25 That's based on wow. all the money spent and accrued by bringing visitors into the state um, as a part of that. So valuable, you know, valuable wildlife for sure. But um, the the management in North Carolina is it's interesting. It's actually the management of the and the oversight of the elk population there is, is actually split between the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Agency and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Nation, depending on where where those those elk have sort of migrated and drifted off into. Right. Um, so they manage them together and they cooperate and all that stuff. Um, and they wanted to bring more in. I don't know if you saw this on your, on, on your, um, in your research, but you know, you and I have talked about where, um, where we hunt in North Carolina, sometimes uh, up in that area of the, of the state where, uh, CWD has started to rise its head and, and show, um, should kind of show its ugly face there. Well, in 2012, um, like you said, the, the elk herd was estimated to be around 150 to 200. That was as far back as 2012. They wanted to bring more in. But because of CWD, they they've stopped and bring yeah. any more in, um, which kind of sucks. But um, you know, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't have a negative impact on them, and, and it'll, it'll continue to grow. I'm hoping that they grow and we can one day hunt them. But I don't think what those numbers will ever be. No, not when you see the not when you see those numbers compared to the numbers in the states where you can't hunt. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and then that's pretty much the same story as far as Tennessee goes. There's just there's some elk in the eastern part of Tennessee. They're just overflow of that. Do you, in your research of Kentucky, did you see if any are bleeding into Tennessee from Kentucky? Um, I didn't see that specifically, but they are uh, the zones. The, the zone includes uh, 16 counties, so I would not be surprised if if there are trickles of them, you know, coming down into Tennessee from Kentucky. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go in. Can you hunt Kentucky first and foremost? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, nice. Yeah. So, uh, just a little bit of history and the reintroduction of, of of elk into Kentucky. Um, some of the stuff I was reading. So. Obviously, we discussed, you know, elk, elk were extinct, you know, almost 200 years ago from that area. So in 1997, um, they released elk that they had snatched and kind of gathered up, captured from Western states um, and Canada. And they released uh, over the course of a couple of years, starting in 1997, uh, 1500 elk into the eastern part of 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 Kentucky. it, it, it became an area where the, the elk population thrived really, really well. As you and I know, as you've seen, uh, anyone who's been to the eastern part of, of Kentucky in the mountains there, populations of those areas are very small. So very minimal human interaction. And with the milder winters and warmer weather, it just, you know, in the thick, dense forest, especially like you see in um, some of the national forest up there, it's just perfect, perfect um, habitat for them to thrive. Um, and they've done so really well. So you can hunt in, like I said, 16 different counties. Um, those counties include Bell. I'm going to, I'm going to murder some of these names. <laughs> uh, Braithit, Clay, Floyd, Harlan, Johnson, Knox, Harlan, Knox, Leslie, Letcher, Magafin. That's a fun name. Martin, McCreary, Perry, Pike, and Whitley counties. Um, and actually, to answer your question earlier, it said originally the area, it says originally the area included 14 counties, but Whitley and McCreary counties were added in 2004 to bridge Kentucky and Tennessee's respective restoration zones. So, ah, my go. guess is that there there is some crossover there between the two. Um, watch, watch Tennessee, like in 50 years, be the elk hunting <laughs> capital of the world. Right? Yeah. Um, the latest the latest information that I was able to find. Um, and, and my search and, and, you know, I, I'm not a professional researcher, so there may be more recent information, but as of a 2021 report that was put out, um, it is estimated that there is around or more than 10,000 elk in Kentucky. It's wow. difficult though, to, to get an accurate number because of how thick, uh, the forest is there and researchers just don't have the ability to get out there and, and actually get, you know, super accurate numbers. Um, in 2021, they handed out 594 permits or tags to hunt. Um, those are done mostly by a randomized drawing. Um, and the only thing is, is if you do, when you do, if you do finally pull a tag, you cannot submit for another one for three years. Wow. Yeah. I didn't get any information on pricing. Um, but I'm sure you can find that on Kentucky's. Is it, did you see anything if it's fair between non-resident resident and hunters? Um, so there is, there is a, a, I believe a partial sort of, um, you know, preference given to, to residents. Yeah. Is that so when they give the tags out, does, I don't know how far you went into that, but is it like any county? How many days do you get? Did you find anything I, on that? I didn't I didn't look that deep into it, no. Yeah. Um I can certainly do that though if, if people are interested. I'd be happy to to go deeper and and we could put that in a, a blog post on the website. <clears throat> yeah, we'll do that. We'll do a blog post and put all this information in there and uh that way you'll be able to find it. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I, would you rather hunt elk in Kentucky or Colorado? Uh, well, Kentucky is an eight hour drive as opposed to <laughs> a 24 hour drive. So yeah, yeah, yeah. how about that? 
Yeah. We'll have to see. Let's see how far it is to, um, like, here to Pittsburgh. I wouldn't mind Pennsylvania either. It's also shorter, so. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's see, it's uh, drive. <clears throat> and if you're listening and you've had the opportunity to hunt ten hours and hunt elk in Kentucky or Pennsylvania or Tennessee—well, probably not Tennessee—but you've been able to hunt in um, in, Kentu- in Kentucky or Pennsylvania, you've hunted elk, and you'd like to come on and talk about it. We would love to have you on and, and yeah. hear what you have to say. Do a part two thing. Yeah, Do you have anything else on Kentucky? I don't want to jump straight to Pennsylvania, but it's no, a- no, no, no. That, that was pretty much it. I was fascinated by the amount of effort they went into to capture, um, you know, fifteen hundred elk, and they yeah. they captured them in various ways. They tagged a lot of them, uh, collared them, and have kept pretty close tabs on on quite a few of them. Um, and then I was able to find a YouTube video that shows them releasing them from uh, cattle trailers and just taking off into the into the hills. And they had like huge crowd of people like two hundred yards away watching. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, they did a little bit different in Pennsylvania, and I went really deep in the woods on this. Um, as I texted you and was like, "Hey, we need to go elk. Well, we need to put in for tags for Pennsylvania, which I'll get to. I'll get to that. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, you know, straight through. We'll we'll discuss. But so from 1913 to 1926, the Pennsylvania Game Commission released 177 elk from Yellowstone, Wyoming. Oh, nice. Okay." in 10 counties and today it is more than 800 and their range is approximately 800 square miles so these elk that they brought um half of them went to clinton county and the other went to clearfield county or came from excuse me clinton county clearfield, from wyoming how much do you think these elk cost each this is uh, again this is 1913. i don't know so pennsylvania had to buy them or some organization had to buy them from from yellowstone it, it wasn't, it just said this is what each elk costs um, to bring it there. And, and oh, okay, okay. Like, Hell, I don't know, man. 5000 a piece? $30. 30 bucks? Yeah, yeah I thought it was going to be a whole lot more. <laughs> I wish that I was there in 1913. I would have bought a few myself. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know what $30 was in 1913. I'm guessing it was probably a grand, but Only maybe not a grand. Probably like 500 bucks. I don't know. You could buy a car back then for like $8, I think. God. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I have no idea. From what what year? 1913? Yeah. 1913 to 1926. So that'd be, yeah, it'd be like $1,000 today. Oh, it's not bad. I'd pay $1,000 for, that's cheap. Yeah, for a year's worth of, of meat, yeah. probably a year plus. Hell yeah. A year plus, yeah. <laughs> so to ensure their successful reintroduction, the General Assembly enacted a law to protect them until November 15th, 1921, where they would do a two-week elk season. 
and it would be requiring bulls with at least four points on one antler. So the release and all that did not go as planned, but they loaded these elk into trains and shipped them to Pennsylvania. And when they got to Pennsylvania on the trains, they literally just shoot them out of the cars into the wild. Um, and so they began to wander and search for cover, which the article went pretty deep in this, like cover unfamiliar land, unfamiliar food sources, don't know where the water is, don't know where anything is. Um, and it looked like it wasn't going to be good. So it, it wasn't as great, but within a week, some have traveled up to 40 miles away from the release sites. Wow. Which is insane. So in 1915, barely two years after the first elk were released, the game commission bought another 95 elk to be released in six different counties. Um, so they still didn't do the hunt because they just, it, it wasn't taking well, yeah. but it caused a lot of problems with farmers. And, and so what, one thing I've noticed about hunting in general is you start pissing off farmers. Yeah. Tags go up. Everything starts to become like hunting becomes different. I mean, here, like around the peanut fields, they absolutely waste deer. Like at oh, night, yeah. they just shoot them and they throw them in a pot. Yeah. The, um, the agricultural uh, depredation tags you can get. Yeah. 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 From the DNR will give you like, I think it's 30 at a time. Yeah. Now, the, the only thing is, and this is what you're supposed to do, and, and I don't know how if everybody follows this rule, but if you shoot deer, and this, it drives me crazy that this is this is the way it is, yep. if you shoot deer as part of a depredation program, you are not supposed to pick them up. You're not supposed to take supposed them to in. Them you're supposed to leave them there. Yep. Which kills me. Like you could like how is how is killing I don't know five or six deer, deer in a night. <laughs> around a farm a field and just leaving them there how is that I, I don't i don't understand how that's that's good for the environment or for or for the for the population when it could be going to at least taking it to a, to a processor to be donated to a shelter or something or to me i mean i'll take it yeah no know. kidding right <laughs> but yeah it's so the farmers are reporting that the corn crops they brought them down to two inches off the ground and so a lot of farmers started to illegally kill them and they were poached a lot um because they were they thrived so once that happened, they had an actual first elk season, which was held in 1923, two years after when they were supposed to. Uh, during that first season, hunters killed 23 legal bulls. Over the next three years, 25 more were taken. In 1927 alone, hunters took 26 bulls, making it the state's best harvest since reintroduction. And that was pretty much the high watermark until yeah. modern times mm. um, because the World War started. So, you know elk conservation kind of went out the window. Everybody was working on the war effort. Yeah. Um, but in 1930, the bull elk harvest dropped to five and the following year, only one bull was taken. And that was the last of the Pennsylvania elk hunting seasons. Um, so until after the wars through the seventies, blah, blah, blah. So instead of going through everything they did from 1970 until 2000, I'll just leave that as a mystery or you can go look it up yourself, but this is where it starts to get really cool. So in 2000, the General Assembly enacted Act 111, which created an elk hunting license and fees and procedures for applying for elk tags. In April of 21, they started a lottery of sorts. So in their first year, there was more than 50,000 people submitted applications mm -hmm. for the first elk hunt in over 70 years. They selected 30. Wow. Out of those 30 people, 27 of them shot elk. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So Pennsylvania's continued that since 2001. They annually draw about 20,000 applications. Good Lord. So today, uh, that's probably not the right answer. 20,000. Oh, the annual drawing has about 20,000 applications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that what I, I thought that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I said. 
So today they say there's 1,400 elk that freely roam around 3,000 square miles in the north central region of the state, um, mostly within these certain counties, Elk, Cameroon, Clinton, Clearfield, and Center counties. And to get into, that's the end of like the thing. So here's how you elk hunt in Pennsylvania, which has got me really excited. So this year's elk application period was from February 1st to July 16th. The drawing took place on July 29th. Okay. This year's season, archery, is September 16th through the 30th. The general wow. season is October 30th through November 4th, so five days. Whoa. And the late season is December 30th through January 6th, which is seven days. So last year, they gave out 60 antlered tags. 55 were harvested. What? Yeah. They gave so out 100. Go ahead. Well, so... so- are the are the elk just really densely populated in a few areas? Teams that way, man. That is that those way. are some great odds. Sixty tags, five people did not get it. So I would bet you those five at people least didn't make three it. Three of them didn't go. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So out of one hundred eighteen antler list tags, seventy six were harvested. Wow, man, that is impressive. So I'm going to give you the overall total since 2010. Okay, since 2010. There has been 388 antlered tags. 375 were filled. Fuck off. That's no 92% success rate. That is wild. Yeah. It's way better antler than Colorado. List, 1,131 antlerless tags, 856 were filled, 76%. So your overall odds of killing an elk in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the tag, is 82% chance. That's pretty solid. And guess what? It gets better. No way. The oh, wait, there's state, more. Yeah, but wait, there's more. The out-of-state cost. So you and I, <sighs> yeah. next year, we'll buy a tag, hopefully. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I won't eat McDonald's for a little bit. $351.97, all included. Yeah. That's about what it was for, if you remember, Colorado. Yeah. Being out-of-state, you know, non-resident, and then for an either-sex over-the-counter tag, it was around, it was like 300 some bucks. After I think the, I didn't write down the residential tag. Sorry for the Pennsylvania people, but I think it was like twenty five dollars. Non resident is two fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Come on but in. That's still a great price. Yeah, hell yeah, it is. So if you don't get it, and also their lotteries are fair, they don't care where you're applying from. They nice. all go into one bucket. Yeah, and yeah. The winners yeah. are pulled. But yeah, completely blew my mind. I had no idea the success rate was that high. And it was that cheap. Yeah, so I'm add that to my list of things to apply to every year. Yeah, I'm going to apply to it every year. I think what I'm going to do is leave the hunt club, and I'm going to take that whatever it is, eleven hundred dollars a year. I'm going to use that to towards apply tags. To tags. Yeah, it's a good idea. And that's a hundred percent going to be one of them. I mean, if you think about it, it's probably going to take us five years. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe longer. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not though. Yeah, it's because the luck of the draw. But you get a preference point if you don't win, so. Yeah, hell yeah. And even if you know you can't make those seasons, you can just buy a preference point, and it doesn't cost you that much money. Right. You know, I've been thinking about different approaches to hunting. I love being able to just, you know, decide, you know, I'm going to go go tonight, right? We get off here, it's 419. It's probably a little late now. But if we had recorded earlier, we got done, I could just be like, you know what? I'm going to go sit tonight and grab my bag and just zip up, you know, 45 minutes up the road and be in a stand. But if I take all the times out of the year that I do that, combined with uh, the couple weekends that I take to hunt maybe a couple days in a row and look at total number of days 
in let's say it's it's 15 total days or 20 total days that I actually sit in a tree, if I were to take and just pick three or four locations to go hunt for a solid week somewhere, yeah. you know, a week in a week in Kentucky or two weeks in Kentucky, a week in North Carolina, a week in Francis Marion, a week wherever, and, and and take those 20 days and condense them into three or four really focused hunts, I think it might be more fun and we might have more success. Maybe. I don't know. It's um I plan to, to hunt way more than that this year. You know, we have we have Oh yeah, me too. We both haven't hunted a lot in the past two years because we've been focused on the whiskey side of things. But now that we've done everything we wanted to do in the whiskey world, um we have no reason like the bourbon festival was last weekend and uh I don't know if you noticed, but I posted a yeah, <laughs> a story awesome. like nowhere I'd rather be including a bourbon festival. <laughs> not not saying it didn't look like a lot of fun. You know, we know a lot of people that were there and yeah, yeah. they had a great time. But, For sure. Um, I'd much rather be hunting this For year. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I plan to spend a lot of time hunting, especially now that I have something that's really close. Yeah, really close. Yeah. I would, yeah. I'd be in the same, I'd be in the same boat. Yeah. I can, I can be home 30 minutes after sunset if I don't see anything. Yeah. That's great. Which I hunted Monday night mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I saw 10 deer Monday night. Nice. They were all does and fawns, but still. Seeing deer, man. Yeah. It's probably more deer in that one sit than you saw all the last two years at the club. Well, it's no secret. I haven't killed a buck in two years. So <laughs> I, I think I, I don't think I killed anything last year. No, I don't think you did. I don't remember. I know I didn't because my freezer has no deer meat in it and it has it in quite some time. That's fair. Yeah. I'm going to stock up this year, though. It's uh, 100% going to happen. Yeah. My, I, I intend to have the problem of needing to buy a freezer this year. I have a second yeah. fridge in the garage, but I, I intend to have to buy a, a second full stand-up freezer. Did you get rid of uh, that medical fridge? <laughs> Dexter? Dexter. Yeah, I got rid of that thing. Oh, did you? Well, it was a mistake, but whatever. <laughs> did you get money for it? Yeah, got like $800 for it. What? That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, actually, I did got the guy. The guy uh, it was free. <laughs> I know. The guy that bought the guy that bought it was a a farmer. Yeah, he has a little one of those like yeah, you pick it farms where you come and pick berries or whatever. You know they grow a bunch of different things. Yeah, and uh, they needed it to store blueberries and berries uh, after they had been picked in their little shop area. So it went to a good place, I guess. Hmm. But it made a hell of a beer fridge. I think about that fridge sometimes when I when you mention Gabe, I think about yeah. that fridge when I was walking inside and I guess he had said something to me, and I didn't hear him. Uh, I don't remember. And then he was like, he said, uh, you told me the story when I got back outside, but he was like, okay, fuck me then. Cause I, oh yeah. Oh, you know, that's his favorite thing to say. He, he likes to say, oh, 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 fuck me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you were like, yeah. he can't hear. And, yeah. then, you, and then he was Which like, is funny because he can't, I hear can't either. hear either. Yeah. And so we became friends right <laughs> yeah. then. Just, just yeah. not because we can't hear. <laughs> yep. That was great. I think that about funny. that every time you mention his name. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. I just talked to him the other day. Yeah. What about? Yeah. Just some things. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, if all goes well, you'd be talking to him too. <clears throat> yeah, it's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. Big facts. Um, but yeah. so, yeah. So in terms of, uh, elk, I didn't get any information on applying in Kentucky, but, um, if, if, if the cost and the, there's, if I was wrong on the preference to, to, um, in state residents, yeah, right. I, I'd say we should apply to both. I agree with you. We'll have to look into that. We'll do it for the article. Um, I already have all my stuff, but you can look into it for the article. Yeah, whatever. And then we'll we'll throw it in there. Yeah, it's um, 
don't know. I found it fascinating. It's like I had, if I hadn't, I didn't know that. And I would guess that a lot of people don't know that. And if you've never chased elk before, it's something that uh, all of us, uh, all the Southern boys are like, one day we'll get out right. there and, you know, and we know you never do it. And so Gus and I, we almost canceled our elk trip several times. And, and I remember we both just said, if we don't do this now, we're never going to do it. Yep. And that's true. Cause we never would have, if we hadn't done it then. No, the, the, whenever you're planning a big trip like that, it seems like life will throw every possible thing in your way to give you an excuse to not do it. Yeah. Things start to get expensive. Stuff comes up with the family or with the kids. <clears throat> and you I had just to buy gotta, a new truck. Yeah, that's right. You had transmission problems with that other one and you had to get another truck. Yeah. My, my old truck was certainly not going to make it. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, in retrospect, it, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, there's every, every excuse you can think of to not do it will we'll rear its ugly head. And you just have to, to decide that no matter what, you're going to do this thing. You're going to make um, it happen. And it makes me wonder, like hunting elk in, in Kentucky or Pennsylvania, it makes me wonder if guys from out west that hunt elk regularly are like, man. And so, so it's, so they don't bother coming out there. And so maybe it's just, maybe, you know, the Mississippi river is too big for them to cross. They can't swim or something. I don't know. They, I know know that like when, like for instance, like guys we know here, when they go Mm -hmm. kill an elk and you see, and they send you a picture like Doug, like Doug killed another elk, like uh, two weeks ago or something. Did he? Man, he's a slaying machine. Yeah. That's two in a row. And, uh, but it's like, you see him on Instagram, like out in the mountains in Colorado elk hunting. And it's like, dude, he lives three miles away. Right. But there he is. And, you know, it's, it's just so wild for in South Carolina to know someone that goes elk hunting. That's, that's not like some rich asshole that just haunts all the time. I will say this, that the barrier to entry, and I'm not gonna say when, if, or I'm not gonna say if, when, when we choose to do it again, will be much lower. We have pretty much all the, all the equipment now. And, and gear that we need in terms of like solid rain gear, all that kind of stuff. You know, there were investments in things that you know, we were going to the mountains where we we're going to have contact with nobody for, for many days at a time. So we had to invest in, in a really good rain system, really good equipment, things like that. Um, we have all most of that stuff now. So other than tags and travel, there would be no, really no, nothing to spend money. Yeah. On. Yeah. If you want to do one of these seven day hunts, like we, I mean, there was no cell phone service. So we, we bought a spot device, which, really was just for a family because if you get hurt out there you're like if it's bad enough that you need to use a spot device like you'll be dead before they get there but um it was really just so we could let the family know that we were alive and you had never done that before like i had been to afghanistan so i know what it's like to not be able to talk to anyone i mean you've been to Djibouti, but you still had access yeah i could still make a phone call once a day or every other day for 10 minutes or so it wasn't a big deal but how did it make you feel being out there you were like you know, so the first, so like I actually had this conversation, uh, we were talking, I was talking to Jessica and I don't remember what we were talking about. Um, we were talking to Gavin too, uh, about being gone for that long. And she hated it. Like I'm absolutely sure. hated it. Um, and, and I was like, well, if we ever do that again, you know, we'll probably invest in the, the, the next step up of the, the spot devices that allows you to, it's basically a sat phone. It allows you to at least yeah. text or make a phone call. Well, you, you can rent sat phones now. Yeah. And so you don't need to use it every day. You can just use it to check in. Hey, quick phone call. Everything's good. But it also gives her the comfort of knowing if some, something really bad happens with the kids or something at home that she can get in contact with me. Um, And she knew that where we were, even if something happened, uh, even if she could get a hold of me immediately, it was going to be 48 hours before I could even (laughs) get home at at best. Right. Cause it's going to take at least 24 hours to get out of there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, man, it was different. I've never, um, 
you know, of course it was fun being out there and, and, and being away from everything disconnected from the world. Um, you know, but like not knowing what's going on with, the, with my kids, not going, you know, make yeah. knowing if Jessica's okay. Or, you know, I knew that she wasn't going to bother me if there was something minor going on, but even something minor, like one of the kids hurting themselves, like I'd want to know what's going on. So, uh, well, there was no way she could tell you. Right. There's no way yeah. I gave her a, a number to contact with the outfitter, but you know, she understood that if something happened and she contacted that outfitter to get a hold of me so I could get home, that that was going to be a 24 to 48 hour process before I yeah. could probably even get on the road. And, um, you know, that that's hard for someone, you know, I so I, I you know, props to military spouses and families that, you know, that deal with that stuff on a regular basis. That's I, I was a military brat. I know it sucks going along periods of time, but being, uh, you know, sort of the head of a household and being in yeah. charge of a family and being in that position is a lot different. And so it I'm makes me different. really think about like what you, your dad and my dad had to deal with when they were gone and away. Um, and then trying to function at a high level and do a job. Um, we were just fucking off in the mountains, having fun at the end of yeah. the day, but like right. ha having to focus and turn, turn that side of your brain off entirely. So you can focus on a job is it's a whole other world entirely. So um, yeah, it was tough, man, but it was, it was still a lot of fun. Uh, I think I'd do it a little bit differently. I think if we were to go again, um, as much fun as it was having a base camp, I think I would like to pack Ooh. a small bivy camp, like a bivy, and be able to just hop around or even just like 100%. hit a trailhead and go down for a day or two, head back, get in the vehicle, go to the other side of the unit and be able to move around. 100%. Um, don't want to be stuck in, in a bowl. Like I hated being time. stuck. Yeah, it's it's because it's just like you just felt like you could hear where they were and to get them to come down. I mean, we got we got a couple to come down, but it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd much rather have everything packed up that you just go and the resupplies are in the truck. You get out yep. to the truck and all your stuff's in there. So you just leave, you pack like two days worth of food, go out, do two days, come back. And um, yeah, I, I would definitely, if we do that in Pennsylvania, that's hundred percent the way we're going to do it. So yeah. the other thing too was coming back, like you only did seven days away from people, but do you remember when we went to McDonald's? Dude, let me tell you <laughs> something. So there, there are two, there are two times in my life where I, where I will tell you that, um, shitty food has been the most unbelievable thing i've ever had the first was after being on the appalachian trail for seven days and only having like freeze-dried meals and water we got um we got to a trailhead and we hitchhiked only time i've ever hitchhiked in my life hitchhiked a ride in the back of a truck into a little town to this little this little place called the blue uh the blueberry the blueberry hostel the blueberry patch it's a legit blueberry blueberry patch farm and um you can camp outside or if they're open and it's during season you can stay in like a little hostel area and it was off season so they weren't open but they left the building open you could go in help yourself to some snacks and leave a tip that coca-cola full <laughs> sugar coke was the best coke i have to this day i can close my eyes and think about how that tasted it was unbelievable best thing i've yeah. ever had um one of the best beers i've ever had was a couple of days before that um, on the Appalachian Trail or, or any long trail, uh, they have what are called referred to as uh, trail ferries. And these are people that will just do like day hikes off of trailheads and they'll leave little snacks and drinks for through hikers and um, or section hikers, which is what we were doing. We were just doing a long section and someone had left two banquet Coors beers in a creek, a little, a little stream. It was the coldest beer I've ever had. And to this day, it is why Coors banquet beer is my favorite, just, <laughs> like commercial beer um, is so good, but yeah, coming in after, and, and we got to the McDonald's, first of all, we must've looked like, I don't know. I don't know. We like, I don't know. Uh, convicts week, that were escaping a week without shower, <laughs> a week without a shower or anything. We're still in full cam when we walk in and all kinds of stairs. It was a Sunday. So people were like in this tiny town, like Sunday best for Sunday breakfast at McDonald's. Yeah. 
And I think I ordered like a Big Mac, a large drink, fries. I also ordered a McGriddle. Like it was like one of everything, please. And uh, we just sat there in silence and just didn't talk for 10 minutes. We just shoved food in our face. It was the best Big Todd's I've ever had in my life. But do you remember how awkward it was that you were like, I don't like these people being yes, around me? That. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was weird because I didn't expect I didn't expect to feel that way. Uh, but if there's if if that is in any way a microcosm of what you guys experience when you come back from the yeah. deployment and you get off of the plane with guys you just spent seven months with going through shit, experiencing shit, and you step off a plane right into dealing with BWI. Yeah, yeah, right That's into where I flew un into. ungrateful, <laughs> privileged, just yeah. people who just don't give a shit and aren't grateful for all the shit that they have. And you're just like, who the fuck are these people? I flew I can, into BWI. I, totally, I can totally understand it. And they, they had left our lock. So all the weapons when we flew home, because I flew home on like a regular airliner. I flew from Afghanistan to Kuwait and then Kuwait like a regular airliner to Germany. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember being in Germany. They gave us like sleeping drugs. But when we landed at BWI, they had left the key to unlock where all our weapons were, they left the key in Germany. And so like, we can't leave our weapons there, you know, they're military weapons. So they had to go get a locksmith to come in. I think it was like three in the morning and pick this lock on the airplane so we could get our weapons out. So we're piled up where the taxi cabs come. Mm -hmm. All of us fresh out, fresh home from Afghanistan, all our gear piled up on the street, just standing there pissed off. Cause it's three in the morning and like, our wives are waiting for us at the at the battalion headquarters and all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, all the people walking by and weren't inconvenienced because we had a ton of junk just sitting out there. But it's, yeah, that was the first experience. And then you're like, I don't know that I'll ever go to a mall again. Just just from being at BWI. Yeah, yeah. So it was funny to watch you go through that, like just doing seven days and then being around people in, in McDonald's that were in their Sunday best. Yeah, it was just like, I don't know. It was like... Uh, I don't know. It was only seven days, but it was just, and it really wasn't, I wasn't off put by the people. It was just, I didn't want to be around people. Right, right, right. Just like yeah. I just spent seven days away from society and now everyone yep. here is just you know, talking and loud and in their phones. I'm just like, yeah, this is fucking a lot. Can we, it put, it puts it in wild perspective, dude. When you see 100%. how much people use their phones and after not having one for seven days, then you're right. like, they really are. You know, that's the way I felt about cigarettes. That's how I quit smoking cigarettes mm -hmm. was it was like, okay, at my morning cigarette and then I go to work and then I'll work for a couple hours and then I'll have my cigarette and then I'll go back to work and then I'll have lunch and a cigarette. And then everything was like, all I'm doing is doing something so that I can have a cigarette in a couple hours. Yeah. And, and it, like when that happened in my head and I was like, dude, you're a slave to this thing. Everything you're, you're planning your entire day around your next cigarette. Yeah. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm done smoking cigarettes. Now I'll smoke vapes that are inside. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's safer. Stupid. Yeah. Nobody knows what's in those. Right. So Mystery. that means that they can't be proven. They can't kill you. Right. Yeah. Because nobody knows. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we went through that elk thing, and I'm glad that we have a uh, a good game plan for hunting. Yeah. Elk. Yeah. This conversation has lit the fire again, and I think we should definitely seriously start planning an elk trip of some kind. Yes. And I think we should reach out to VPA as well and be like, hey, we're going to start applying for elk tags, but if you guys, if you just want, I just, cause I don't mind going just hike along to uh, pack the meat out. Like I don't, I don't need sure. to shoot. Yeah. I'll come learn. I'll come watch and learn for sure. Yep. Cause that's definitely a world that we don't, I'm not, not an expert. In any, yeah. No. And the more exposure I can get, that's how I learned a turkey hunt actually. Just was, I, I spent half of a season just 
going along without a gun, just a vest and, and, and camoed up and just observing and listening and having conversations and talking and just watching everything unfold. Yeah. Yep. It's the best way to do it. I was listening to a podcast today. They were talking about anything you do in life. It's like you want to be a successful business person. You hang out with successful business people. Yep. And I think the same thing's true with hunting. You want to be a successful hunter, hang out with some successful hunters. So I, th- I I'm more interested in, uh, getting an invite on a hunt to not hunt, but to actually just go and observe, yeah. especially like I would love to go do that for mule deer. Yeah. I've uh, never been mule deer hunting. Let me come help pack, help pack out meat and uh, yeah. I'll, I'll learn stuff. I can rock. I got big ass legs and you can put <laughs> weight on my back and I can carry it. So and no matter how much I hurt, I don't cry and complain. Facts. Unless, unless you're my wife. Yeah. Of course. That's what they're made for, right? That's right. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all I got. I'm going to go make some content and then dinner. Nice. I'm cooking a backstrap and a tenderloin tonight. So hell yeah. Trying to empty out this freezer so I can refill it. Yeah, please do. I found them. I, I found them in the back. Didn't even know I had them. Oh, really? It's a nice surprise. That is a good surprise. I haven't had whitetail meat. A while. Eight months, nine months. Yeah. Let you know how Got it is. Got a hankering. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Till next time. Bye. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.